What the fuck is self-quar? Hello, everybody. This is Baron Vaughn. Welcome to my new podcast, Self-Quar, here on Stony Island Audio. That was me that made the sound effect. I don't have any real sound effects. Um, so thank you for listening to my inaugural episode. You're probably wondering what the fuck is self-quar, right? So this is a podcast where I get to be intimate, y'all. I get to be nuanced, y'all. I get to be emotionally intelligent with a variety of people. I like people. I miss people. And that is one thing that I have realized is true for me during this pandemic. I didn't think I liked people. But I have found out that I really do like people, and I have taken that for granted. So one thing that I have gotten to do while I've been in this pandemic, one thing I've made sure to do, is check up on people. You know, I'm, I'm checking up on old friends. I'm trying to make new friends. I'm moving medium friends up <laughs> in the list because people are having a hard time, and everyone's a person, and I just really care about other people. It's the thing that reminds me to care about myself. That's my selfish part of it, right? I can, I can easily care for others. It's way easier than caring about myself. But hearing people talk about how they care for themselves, about the questions that they have sometimes that are like mine, I'm usually able to either provide something that helps them or they're able to provide something that helps me. That's why I like talking to people. I like talking to people who are very different than me. That's what this podcast is going to be filled with. People who are just so different from each other. One thing in common, though, we're in the middle of this. So everything that's happening to us is being informed by this global situation. Now, of course, here in the United States, we're having a hard time with it. I don't know what it is about the history of the United States that makes it really hard for us to cooperate as a whole. But, gee, it's also something that has come up <laughs> in the last couple of years. I'm not going to have to get too much into that because, obviously, you have been here and you feel all these feelings in your heart. I don't have to do any kind of history lesson. I'm here to kind of track our emotional journey as a whole. I think that's one of the biggest things that's not being talked about, y'all. The emotional toll of being an American. I mean, it is talked about, you know. We talk about self-care. We talk about talking to our people, checking in on each other. But what does that actually mean? I don't even think I know. That's why I'm trying to hold space for others here. Because I've had people hold space for me. I'm learning how to do it for myself, y'all. Be gentle with myself. Because look, obviously the shit's going down out there. You know, in all kinds of different ways. And that's stressful, y'all. Being mad all the time is stressful. Having to fight all the time is exhausting. Having to go out into the world and the state that it's in today with people talking about what they're talking about, coming at you, you know, with all kinds of insanity, whether it be straight up hatred, or whether it be straight up nonsense, or a garbled mixture of the two. And that's just the president, y'all. <laughs> I'm very happy that Biden has won this election, but what does that mean? I'm a natural cynic, and I am, I am in good spirits, but of course I always have that little piece of Hmm. But what gives me hope, of course, is talking to people, 
is asking people how they're getting through this whole thing. Talking to people about, you know, what's coming up for them. Because I think that's what's really going on. Like, this is a gigantic learning moment for all of us. We're all stepping back, have had to step back from a cycle that we did not have the time to break out of. It broke on us. And now we're all just having to look at ourselves. It ain't that a motherfucker. In an era where we all have to wear masks, suddenly we have all become unmasked. That's how I feel about myself, at least. I feel like every demon that I have ignored, that working, that going forward, having my drive has distracted me from, that shit is here. And a lot of it is related to the state of the world. It's related to my existence as a black man in America, as is true for, you know, my family, my friends. You know, this is what's on people's minds, but I don't want to get into the, I don't know, I don't want to get into the analytical kind of stuff. I want to stay with the feelings, with that nuance, with that emotional intelligence and that intimacy and that vulnerability, y'all. I've recorded this introduction I don't even know how many times because I'm, I'm nervous to put this out there. I'm very experienced. I'm very established. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that I have this other practice with this other piece of myself. I've ignored a lot of parts of myself, this trauma history stuff that everybody's always talking about. People are talking about mental health in a very new way. Personally, I feel like it wasn't until Black Lives Matter started that I started hearing black people at large talk about mental health, self-care, collective care. Patrice Culler said that. Collective care. Just knowing that you have to take care of everyone around you as well as yourself. There's a, there's a push and a pull. There's a fabric, even, if you will, to this society. Um, you know, interdependence. It's all these conceptual shits that people keep talking about, you know. How does that affect us in the everyday? What is the practical way that that shit works? That's what I'm, that's what I'm out to find. You know, I, I know that we need to be aware of all this stuff, but I'm also curious about how to heal, how to release, how to change. You know, we're all just kind of sitting here like, what do I do? We're going crazy. That's why I'm making content. That's why you're listening to this content. And please forgive me for not being perfect at it. You know, this form is going to evolve as we go forward. This is the inaugural episode, and I do want to now introduce, I guess, the, the first couple guests I'm going to have here. Um, later in the podcast, we're going to have the, uh, I don't know, CEO, COO, <laughs> the figurehead, if you will, uh, of... Stony Island Audio, Open Mike Eagle. We had a chance to talk um, right after the election happened. We were in a very different place than a conversation we had previously, which you will hear later on the podcast. See, that's the other thing. I, I was kind of thinking like, oh man, all of these conversations are going to be irrelevant like in three days. But that's also part of what's been going on, right? Like every couple days, something more insane has happened that has to change that everyone's perspective, whether we like it or not, has to shift around, has to change around, has to deal with, again, creating more baggage for all of us, dropping it into our la la laps. You know, all of this murder 
all of this death, all of this hatred, all of this division. You know, we are all taking our homework home with us, y'all, because it is infiltrating our daily lives. That's why we're in the situation that we're in right now, because all this shit was kind of like, you know, a crazy Jenga puzzle <laughs> on top of a your thin ice game in the middle of Rockefeller Center while everyone is having the same scene from a different rom-com. You know what I'm saying? Too many new couples figure skating around this precarious situation. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Anyway, the point is, is that I think it's interesting to have a document of how quickly and differently things have changed, you know, whether it be a month ago or two months ago or two days ago. So some of these conversations that you're going to hear, they're old and I'm fine with that. And some of them are going to be new. I'm going to set that up. I'm going to try to be, you know, I'm going to try to tell you about that. And it's going to be crazy. It's going to be, feel like, oh, isn't that cute when that was our biggest concern when fire tornadoes were our biggest concern? Oh, wasn't that adorable when but there was a fire tornado? <laughs> we don't even remember that shit. But, you know, if it was recent, we were talking about it because it's like, wow, what else, what else do we need to know that shit's broken up here? Up here. So anyway, Open Mike Eagle, that is going to be the last interview. I also, in the middle of this podcast, um, have my good friend Katrina Davis, who has helped me put this whole thing together. Katrina Davis is a very funny young comedian here in Los Angeles um, who has an interesting perspective, and she's also listened to all of these interviews. And so we get to kind of analyze them and kind of pick apart the pieces we want to put into our lives. But now I'm going to introduce my first guest. I have the honor of saying that she has been elected um, to the office she ran for. She ran for uh, city council for District 4. I am talking about Nithya Raman. Um, please pay attention to this person. This is an exciting individual in the world of politics today. One of the most progressive candidates on any ballot, I think, in the United States um, this last election cycle. Um, I don't really talk to her much about politics and about her policies. I didn't intend to necessarily. I kind of wanted to see what she was about, you know, because she, she comes off as a very genuine person, a very kind, caring, and intelligent person. And uh, my goodness, that was totally the case. So I'm happy that she won, um, uh, you know, her her bid for election. And I'm also was very happy to kind of sit down and have a conversation with her that was a little different than what she was doing up until that point because she was campaigning, campaigning, campaigning. I kind of wanted to talk to her about how she is, you know. Now, of course, some of these policy things come up and that's because it's organic. So it's like what she stands for, who she is, Turns out those things are connected. Um, so I look up to this person. So here now is an interview with Nithya Raman. suburbs of Boston. What part of Boston did you grow up in? I grew up in a town called Burlington. Do you know Boston? Very, very well. I went to Boston U, so yes. 
Ooh. Have you ever been to the Burlington Mall? That's the primary way in which people know Yes, Burlington. of course. I've been yeah. to the Burlington Mall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do. Oh, go, ahead, I, go ahead. Yeah. No, I would say I, I always have to clarify for people it's not where the Coat Factory yes. is from. That's Burlington, Vermont. This is another lesser Burlington <laughs> where, <laughs> where the only real claim to fame is this gigantic Yeah, I mall. think that's how most people in Massachusetts actually, uh, that's how they refer to it. Hey, you want to go to uh, Lesser Burlington? Like it's like, that. hey, you want to go to Lesser Burlington? You want to get a coat guy? You know, I mean, it's Sunday, yeah, yeah. so we should go to Vermont, right? That's a very inside joke for people who know state laws in Massachusetts. Uh, so... You went to Harvard, Harvard. You yeah. went to MIT yeah. as well, right? Did yes. you ever go to the comedy studio right there in Harvard Square? It was above the uh, uh, Hong Kong restaurant. I have been there. That's one of my old haunting grounds. Oh. I started doing stand-up in the city of Boston over there at Harvard. It was a very fascinating. Comedy studio was a very fascinating social experiment because you had real people from Boston Real people from Cambridge, Harvard students, MIT students, all of these different people coming into one place to try to agree on what is funny. <laughs> and I. So it, if you were good there, that means you were probably good for a lot. Maybe, of but sometimes your goodness is connected to the community in which you wish to be good, which I think is sort of your deal because <laughs> you are you are uh running for election here in los angeles and um los angeles is a very fascinating city um i have gotten quite obsessed with the history of how the city came to be uh because mm. i had three years here where i didn't have a car and I had to trip all over los angeles county to get to auditions and shows and i was taking the bus and going, wait a minute, why is it a different bus now? Wait, so is this still, okay, so now I'm on the blue bus, but now this is a green bus, but now I'm in North Hollywood. So it's like that whole thing. I took the subway, I took Uber and Lyft at the beginning of Uber and Lyft. So I started to be like, why is this city like this? Why is there no one discernible downtown? Like, why is it all these different counties? And mm -hmm. some of them are towns that have mayors. And the average Los Angelino, who's not a real local like myself, is like, why? What is this? What's going on? And it kind of creates this, I would say, disunity to this county because it's got a really interesting way of governing itself. But people like you are talking about issues that I wish I heard more people talking about because those are the exact things that I think are the result of this division that has happened in the way that this city is governed. Governed, uh, this county, I should say, is governed. But I'm now theorizing, and I can see that you're going. Hmm, the wheels are spinning. So, your thoughts? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right in so many ways. I think there's two things that really explain. Well, maybe it's all really just one, but. To me, the history of Los Angeles is the history of private real estate development, you know, and it's it's the people who set up these developments in places like Sherman Oaks and places all, all over L.A. County, not just the city of Los Angeles, but all over L.A. County and the kind of suburban dream that they sold to people who are moving here, the kind of promise of the life you would have, you could still 
have your urban job. A life your, based on the automobile. A life based on the automobile, but also a life based on, in many ways, ignoring the fact that you were part of this greater metropolitan mm. area. You know, it replicated the suburban dream that you saw happening all over America, but in a place which is very clearly a city which has city-level problems. And I feel like this conflict between this idea of L.A. as a small set of towns that are connected in kind of name and uh, some broader identity versus some of the challenges that it faces now, which have to be dealt with not at the level of the neighborhood, but at the level of the city, that essential conflict is in a way what is determining some of the broader policy debates that are happening right now. Yeah, that it's kind of a a tension that is a philosophical tension that's always been at the fabric, I guess, of this city since inception. Um, not at inception yeah. because it was in, this city existed before the United States, but the United States version right. of <laughs> right, right, or the the mo- the more modern version of it, exactly. And I think the same thing that you're talking about, or the same this same kind of atomization of various neighborhoods absolutely contributed to the car culture, absolutely contributed to the idea of having all of these different little centers, but no clear one place, which is a real center. Yes. Uh, it, it contributed to a lack of connection between some of these places, except through the highway, except through, you know, except through your own individual car, a lack of investment in our public transit infrastructure. Yeah, all of these things are absolutely connected. But I think the root of it to me, the ex- the explanatory root was this these private real estate developers who came here and set out a vision for Los Angeles, set, developed huge swaths of it, and imbued those swaths with a certain kind of self-identity that still continues to shape a lot of Angelino's vision of themselves. Mm. But, but I do think that that's also changing. And, and I don't, you know, for me, it's exciting to try and bridge those two ideas of Los Angeles and to try and talk about solutions to issues that can hopefully address people in both uh, or or people who who like it a particular way mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. and uh for anybody listening that wants more research on the history of los angeles let me recommend three movies to you chinatown the two jakes which is the lesser known sequel to chinatown and who framed roger rabbit which is technically inspired by chinatown but it is kind of about the destruction of public transportation okay so (laughs) which is weird chinatown's water less than two the two jakes is land and who framed roger rabbit is the trolleys because they're going to they're going they want to put toontown together with human town but it's all about if this trolley can do it which of course that's really the metaphor is like should the humans and the tunes even mix you know, stuff like that, right? Interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh. This is like, this is not, not what I expected to be talking about on this podcast, but I'm so excited about it. And because I think it connects to, uh, the broader, the broader theme of the, of the podcast, which is that how I've been taking care of myself through this very stressful process. Oh, I was going to, I was going to transition into it, but you did it for me. (laughs) Well, listen, I'm you a, are pro a pro. Now. You are a pro. That's right. <laughs> I, yes, I, I have a lot of friends who are like, uh, like Yasser Lester or um, June Diane Raphael, people, people who I've known for years, especially and a lot of other people um, who are fans of yours, you know, or are members of organizations that have endorsed you. And so it's kind of like, 
you're a fascinating individual to a lot of people, but to me, I'm always fascinated to know or curious to know what it is that informs these people that want to change things. Because I, I, I see myself as a version of you. I'm just uh, the artsy fartsy version, <laughs> you know, and you are, yeah. uh, you are getting in there. And this was something that you had planned on doing pre-pandemic, I would assume. Yes. Well, yeah, I started the campaign last August. So I've been running now for 15 months, which is absolutely mind blowing. I can't believe I've been doing that. <laughs> I would assume so, especially to go into all of a sudden this unprecedented crisis that I think it's been a gigantic learning moment um, for many mm. people in many ways, because I think big, big thing that you are concerned about that I'm also concerned about is what's going on with housing and the homeless po populations. So in Los Angeles is like, you know, I've heard homeless populations very rudely referred to as a cancer before. And the mm. person who said that was saying that in a derogatory term, you know, like you j they're just there and you can't do anything about them sort of thing, them, right? Mm. But if I can extend that uh, off that metaphor, there are signs that you might be having cancer, that you might get cancer. There are things that you can do to prevent oneself from, from in getting cancer, I guess you could say. It's random in the mm -hmm. end, I guess you could say, but like there are preventative measures that can be taken. You can't just go like, well, it's going to happen. I might as well just do whatever I want. So this population out here, people have been struggling with what's going on with in Los Angeles. And then this pandemic, I think, really puts it into focus because everyone's being asked to inside, be inside, and what inside is, mm -hmm. is not the same for everyone. So your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say, you know, if you're going to classify it as a type of cancer, I guess I would say that our homelessness crisis would be most akin to something like a lung cancer, mm. you know, where your behavior as a smoker is the most likely cause of most instances of lung cancer. I know it's not always the case, but you know, it, that's, it's most frequently because I, you know, cancer, as you said, is more random, but here in Los Angeles, what I look at when I look at the history of the city, when I look at the ways in which we could have prevented our current homelessness crisis, the ways in which we can still be preventing people from falling into homelessness and we choose not to do those things that, that I think is what has driven me to run for this seat because I think we haven't acknowledged how much of our current crisis is is almost completely man-made uh, here in L.A. So if if I may get into that. Please for a get into uh, it. That's my theme song for you. <laughs> right. They, I love it. Um, so, you know, one thing I always say when I compare the city of Los Angeles to the city of New York is the differences in the kinds of safety nets we've put in place for people who are housing vulnerable or housing insecure in some way. In New York, there are 165,000 public housing units. There are enough shelter beds for every single person who is experiencing mm. homelessness. Here in Los Angeles, we have less than 10,000 units of public mm. housing. And that, by the way, that was an effort by the private real estate sector to stop public investment in housing here because it would cut down on their mm -hmm. profits. Uh, and that's that's a historical, you know, kind of a historical artifact of mm -hmm. Los Angeles. The reason why we have so few units is because of the power of this real estate industry. We also have 
less than a quarter of the shelter beds that we need for our current unhoused mm -hmm. population. And as our unhoused population grows, that ratio, the quarter, keeps decreasing relative to the size of, of our homeless population. And we continue to underbuild on it. And so when I think about why we're facing the crisis that we are, in so many ways, it feels like we haven't done enough to make sure that people who are, who are not served by the private real estate market have an option, have another way in which to stay housed. We have never, for example, provided a right to a lawyer for people facing mm. evictions, even though there's more than 30,000 estimated evictions in the city of Los Angeles every year. We've never provided emergency rental assistance to a, a broad swath of residents. We've made it incredibly hard to get emergency rental assistance, and it's like a couple hundred dollars, and it's only available to the very poorest of poor residents, even though everybody knows that so many people are facing eviction here in Los Angeles. And even though research shows that you only need $600 and on average to stay in your home if you're facing eviction. And yet we've never bothered to make that kind of money available to people. We have so many people who are renting here in L.A. It's a city of renters, right? Mm -hmm. We have tenants rights on paper that are supposed to protect tenants from, you know, illegal evictions, from bad, bad living conditions. And yet we've never as a city, never allowed the construction of the kind of scaffolding we would need to actually be able to let people realize those rights in reality, right? So those are rights on paper. We've never told people that they have those rights. We've never given them the tools to be able to exercise those rights. And we've never used our authority as a city to proactively enforce those rights. Now, in a city that is actually internationally now defined by our housing and homelessness crisis, why would that not be your first priority? Mm -hmm. Why would that be not the thing that you are fighting for every day in office? That is what really baffles me about Los Angeles. And so when I talk to people about homelessness and what I think my response would be and what I think and, and, and they ask me, why do you think that you would do better than our current, you know, our current elected representative specifically or broadly our city as a whole? I look at all of the things that we've left on the table that we just haven't done. And I think if we did any of those things, we would be in a better position. And my assumption is those things haven't been done because they don't benefit a different group of people who, who right. one could argue that some of these people, I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> that currently hold office or in these rooms in the room where it happens might have other interests to other parties. Now, let's not get into that. Yeah, and we don't have... Well, yeah, and we don't have to name names or anything, but we can talk about the fact that the only people who donated to city council campaigns historically here in L.A. have been people who sought to profit off of the city, people who sought to profit off of city residents. And so there was a real resistance to putting into place policy that would, uh, I think, go against the interests of those city donors. Um, and I think that's that's something that that is worth talking mm -hmm. about, because I think that's a broader political culture question. I think we should be moving towards a city where corporate funding of our elections is considered to be, you know, just something you don't do. It bad just feels form, like you shouldn't be doing taste. that. Yeah, bad form, bad form. And if and if somebody does it, you don't vote for them because that's a sign that they're not working for you. They're working for somebody mm -hmm. else, you know? Fascinating. So I guess what I want to do, in a sense, is try to steer this back to, um, I guess I'm thinking about like, you know, this apocalypse, and I, I do openly call it the apocalypse, uh, <laughs> but I don't say it like I think most people mean it. 
every story to me starts with the definition of a word. So apocalypse, I believe, is an ancient Greek word, and it's supposed to mean hmm. uh, all will be revealed, the revelation. It doesn't huh. mean an ending. It means an understanding. So I always go, it's wow. not. Wow, I didn't know that. That's what they say. Um, feel free to fact check. Feel free to Snopes me. But uh, <laughs> I always. I, I, I like yeah. that meaning, and so I'm going to accept it as yeah, take, true. T- take it with you, because I think it's not the end of the world. It's the end of a world. And so we are at the nexus, I guess you could say, I would say a death of an era, and that it is very much in our face every single day. All of the many problems that this country has been standing on, you know, each state has been standing on, each city has been standing on these illusions for years, decades, you know, a century, and suddenly it's all kind of blowing up in our face. And I think that we have an opportunity to shape and form and create a new world, right? And uh, when I think about like, someone like you running for office because this was the one was you were you all always planning to go into politics no and and it's a really bad i mean i have two i have five-year-old <laughs> twins like this is not a good time for me exactly i bet you know you're you you you're trying to homeschool and there's like a whole situation going on right so what made you go hmm something else has to be happening here you know something different has to happen here and i'm, I'm curious if there's like a uh, you know, in the movie where the, there's, you see a little boy walking down the street and you don't see who it is and he looks in the window and you're like, what's in the window? And it's just a guitar and you see the kid's face, right? And you're like, who is that kid? Cut to John Lennon, you know, playing this guitar <laughs> at, as a teen about to get up in Liverpool. And so I'm wondering, what is that moment <laughs> where you saw the guitar in the window and you're like, maybe something else needs to be, ha- maybe I need to switch courses here. Uh, you know, I do talk about one moment often where I, we started a drop-in center for people experiencing homelessness in this neighborhood. So I live in Silver Lake, but it serves a bigger region mm-hmm. of the city. And I, I helped to set up that drop-in center. I helped to fund it with a group of my neighbors and I always talk about this one moment when I was sitting at that drop-in center and I was sorting clothing donations and I looked around and, you know, the, all the other volunteers are there and all of us had full-time jobs. All of us had families that we were leaving behind to come and do this work, which I looked around and realized, oh, this is the work that our city officials are supposed to be mm. doing. We're doing the work that the city is failing to do. And that, to me, that was my moment where I said, God, I, I, this Unless we change who's in power, unless they feel this kind of urgency, we're never going to get to a place where we see real change uh, in L.A. And so that's always my aha. That's my guitar in the eyes moment, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But I will but I will also say that um, I've also had so many times where I've questioned my decision to run just because it has been hard on my family. And sometimes, uh, you know, my... Um, my parents or my in-laws have essentially had to be here the entire time with us um, to help care for the children while I've been doing this. That's the that's the way we've made it work. And uh, and sometimes I think, gosh, I put such a burden on everybody to do this, you know, and I took so much time away. But at the same time, when I think about the future that we're fighting for, for 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 L.A., I also think that this is the best thing to be doing for my kids. 
And especially during this moment of this, you know, this pandemic, which is just, I don't know, you know, as the entire city, the entire country now is going back into a third yes, wave. as it becomes colder you know, in a lot of other places in the country. Exactly, exactly. And that places which once looked like they were on the way out, now back into it. Now I'm struck, and, and one week away from this presidential election, I'm struck that even if Biden wins, it's still going to take a much a longer time to solve this, to get to a moment where we're all able to be together and unmasked and now have our right. economy back again. You know, and I think about just a few weeks ago when it felt like the entire state of California was on fire. And, <laughs> you know, so you, we're faced with all of these things, which are just this moment of such incredible pressure on us as a society. And in some ways, yes, I'm away from my kids more than I would like, but when they look back on this moment, ask me what I was doing, I feel like I was trying to do the thing that I thought would be the most effective at responding, you know, to, to, to these crises and, and, Trying to do everything in my power. Well, to your family things. has really come together to support you. I know that. I know that it feels like a burden sometimes. Like, oh, I've asked this of them, but if I would assume if any of them didn't want to do it, they'd be like, "No, I'm gonna stay here and watch Hulu." But instead, they they yes. showed up for you. Right, right. Yes. No, that's true. That's true. And the grandparents are very happy to. Be I with the bet. I so. bet. Oh, I miss my my mother, who I wish I could you know hang out with and. She wants to hang out with her grandchildren as well. But let's go back to this family inside kind of feel, because I am curious about when you are having a breath, you're not talking about policy. You're not having uh, guilt about your family, <laughs> you know, or pride about your family. And you're just like, all right, time to relax. What are you relaxing with? How do you do that? Oh, well, this is why I was excited that you brought up Who Framed Roger Rabbit, because <laughs> the only thing that I've been able to relax with is old movies, mm. movies from my, you know, that I watched in middle school and high school and that I'm excited to rewatch and see how they've aged or <laughs> just to watch as co total comfort, comfort food, comfort uh, entertainment. Oh, I can't watch anything. Name some of these movies. I'm really curious now. <laughs> Oh, gosh, you're going to. No, no shade, uh, no only... judgment. This is a judge-free zone. Don't, as my friend Nick Kroll once said, don't judge me, judge Judy. <laughs> uh, well, here's some, here's a couple. I, I watched Sleepless in Seattle, Ooh. which is so good, mm -hmm. honestly. Still stands up. I watched You've Got Mail. I would say that's good. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. I literally <laughs> just had a conversation about You Got Mail, and someone was like, yeah, this didn't age well at all. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, hilarious. Not. I mean, he's like creepily stalking her, lying about who he is. Essentially, he's the Amazon Barnes and Noble to her tiny little. I mean, it, it's all mm. bad. <laughs> it's, all... it's a it's a catfishing. It's a catfishing love story. It's it's really the official. You've got mail. It should be M-A-L-E. Am I right? He's weird. <laughs> um, what else is getting you through? What have I, what did I watch? Um, so rom-coms at first, that's what you first went to. Oh yeah. Then I watched, of course, My Best Friend's Wedding. Mm, another uh, classic. Yes. And then what have we been, we've been watching, um, what else, what else, what else? I can't remember now, but I'm going to add Who Framed Roger Rabbit to that list, you know? So besides these movies, what about, what else? Like music, books? 
um, milkshakes. Ooh. Yeah, milkshakes and like late night eats are a big part of how I've been getting through. Ooh. So it makes me curious about what your day is like because, okay, so you have a lot of family around. I have a lot of family around. So that enables me to, so I, you know, the last few weeks have just been absolutely crazy back to back. Campaigning, campaigning, yeah. Yeah, and mostly digital events. So I'm mostly at home in my, you know, at my desk in front of my computer all day and I don't really have a minute to myself. And then at night, I'll want to go somewhere. But of course, everything's closed. Mm-hmm. So my husband has been and and but we have the grandparents with us at home. So I'm able to drive around with him and we just go and get food from all over the city. Late night eats. And that's like my favorite way to get. Yeah. It's like a little personal time for the two of you, huh? Exactly. Yes. And so what do you do? You just drive around and you just talk or you eat? Yeah, or we combination? talk. Yeah, we talk. <laughs> we drive from, like, I the other day, he really wanted Popeyes. So we, like, drove to the 24-hour Popeyes on La Brea. Then we one day I wanted uh, a really awesome milkshake that I had at um, Sweet Rose Creamery in Santa Monica. So we drove Whoa. out. Yeah, so good. I mean, I live in Silver Lake, so it was a long drive, but there was no traffic. So we went out there. We got that. Um, the other night I had, yeah, there's just so many, and there's very few places that are now open 24 hours. So, but, Mm -hmm. but they're all over the city. So we get to drive everywhere and pick up stuff. And it almost sounds like you're having like, uh, it's like the uh, scene in the rom-com, uh, where they go to the skating rink. So (laughs) it's you and your, your husband are skating all over the city. (laughs) So you're actually, you're getting to do that rom-com thing almost, uh, nightly. Is that what you said? Well, not every night, but every, you know, every couple of nights a week we'll, we'll go around, particularly Friday or Saturday night, you know. So there's a, there's a bit of a love affair with the city. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So what, some, tell me some of your favorite, other favorite places. Like some of these places, like, you know, people go, oh, I can't wait till I get back. I can go to, and it's safe, you know. Are, these, oh. are there places that you miss, they say? Oh, my gosh. I miss so much of L.A. It's like kind of painful for me to talk about what I miss. <laughs> Okay, then I'll retract. No, it's it's okay. I mean, I just remember, you know, I had just gotten to a point where my kids were old enough that they were able to take public transit with me and they were excited mm. about it. And I, you know, I'm a transit user, a lifelong transit user. I obviously rely on my car more in L.A. than I've ever in my life. Um, but even when I was, when I commute to work, usually I rely on public transit because that's the most you know, you know when this bus is coming, so you're able to mm-hmm. go out and get it. It's like the easiest way when you can use public transit in LA. And I was really excited because my kids finally got to the age where they didn't have to be in a stroller and I was able to take them with me hmm. on the train and take, you know, go downtown and go exploring with them. And so that's what we were doing right before the pandemic. And it was really sad for me that, you know, we, we had to stop that kind of thing. It's also a nice way for them, in a sense, like as they get older, for them to be independent about getting mm-hmm. around the city and to be able to explore the city on their own before they're able to drive. So I'm really excited to see how they start using transit and once we can start using it again. Which is another one of your uh, platforms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it, it sounds like you have this love affair with the city mm-hmm. and you would like other people, <laughs> everyone here, to also have a similar love affair with the city. Oh, yeah. I mean, L.A. is amazing. I've, you know, I lived outside of Boston in the suburb. Mm -hmm. When we first moved to America, I was really little, but we moved to Louisiana. And then I worked in India for a while. And so I've lived a bunch of places as a as a young person and as an adult. And 
now I'm here. This is my home. I'm raising my family here. And I've never felt more at home in any part of America than I have in L.A. And it happens so fast. And I think that is so special about Los Angeles. Like hmm. it for me, it made me feel at home here and it made me feel accepted here in a way that I had never experienced anywhere else. And that was why I was so excited to have children here, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I grew up, you know, it, I, I grew up in a place where I didn't always feel like I was welcome. And I don't know whether you had that experience growing up or where you grow up, grew up, but I, I certainly was, didn't feel, yeah, I didn't feel welcomed all the time. And struggled with that a little bit. And I don't think my kids will ever feel that way. And gosh, what a blessing. That is really beautiful. (laughs) That's what we all want, right? That's what they say. And so that always informs us. I think that's that sometimes that sometimes the guitar in the window is someone being a racist, you know, or (laughs) (laughs) and you go like, oh, I don't want any I don't want my children to experience this. So, well, I'm really happy that you're trying to, you know, or that you are making a because i think that your presence here has already made such a difference and already in the lives of your family especially because i'm curious about like when i say that like oh they support you you know i'm curious about some of these ways that they that you see them supporting you like what are the you know besides your husband driving you around the city (laughs) for milkshakes and and chicken wings like what are some of these things that you go like oh when you look around, you go like, these, I love these people. Oh, yeah, I love these people. Well, with my husband, I will say that, you know, he right now is tabling for the campaign at polling locations across the city. So mm-hmm. every day he's in a different early voting started um, Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he was even tabling last week at high traffic foot locations across the city and just telling people about the campaign. So he's been doing that every single day. My parents have been phone banking from for months. They were doing it in Boston, and now they're here um, for the end of the campaign, uh, not staying with us, but they're uh, so they're still phone banking. My in-laws, who are staying with us, we had to put some stickers on postcards because there was like an error on the mailing thing. All these handwritten postcards that all these volunteers had done, and we had to sticker each one of them. And there was about three thousand of them, and. The stickers were really hard to put on. And so every night they would put stickers on these postcards, mm-hmm. you know, and and my mother-in-law is so sweet. She'll bring me a cup of t- hot tea, hot chai at 3 p.m. every day and knock on the door. And she's like, I hope I don't I'm not disturbing one of your meetings, but she'll like bring me a hot cup of tea. I mean, it's like the love that I felt from my family, the pride that I feel from them that I stepped up and did this. This is not an unusual I and mean, this is not a usual path for you know, a lot of people in our, like in our circle, there's not a lot of people who've, who've joined the political world. And so I think they're really proud that I, I did this and really proud of kind of the excitement it's generated. So it's been really, it's been really amazing. And then my kids, oh, they're just the best, you know, they have been so good. And, uh, every morning they will crawl into bed with me and just tell me about their dreams and tell me about, uh, you know, things that they thought about at night and conversations they had with each other before they went to sleep and just like hug me. And they'll spend that time in the morning with me every day, which that that's that's their way, I think, of showing me their affection and love. That's really incredible. I I 
am smiling so wide. <laughs> the audience can't see. And it's because you're beaming as I mean, you talk about your family. It's it's really beautiful. I'm just so blessed. I really am. You know, like I just I feel so incredibly lucky with with the family that I have and the support they've provided. And my I have a little brother mm. who is not so little. He's working at um, he's like a he's little to you. Uh, He's little to me, even though he's like a foot and a half taller. No, a foot taller than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he and his girlfriend have also been phone banking and tabling. I mean, it's like everybody. Every My sister-in-law in New York, she's a doctor. Whoa. She was on the COVID ward, and she works at a hospital in the Bronx. Um, and she's been phone banking from wow. New York. I mean, it's like everybody. Everybody. That's really incredible. I mean, it, I, I'm very lucky. I keep thinking of... Uh, well, I'm not going to say this because I keep thinking of I, I, I can only imagine this cinematically. Like I imagine the the scene, you know, of the here, here's here's your tea. I hope I'm not disturbing something and then following you out into the, the living room and everyone's there and the kids are playing and, <laughs> and like, you know, someone's phone banking. It's like, hey, you know, it's like a lot of things are happening at once. It's pretty beautiful. Um, I, I feel like one of the biggest things for me about this about the Panny D. That's what I call the pandemic, Panny D, just so it sounds like a really, you know, fantastic 90s rapper, um, is that I think it's bringing into focus in many ways that which we have been taking for granted. Mm. And so I'm curious to you, or to ask you what you see that maybe you have been taking for granted. Uh, you know, yeah, I, th I remember this moment at the beginning of the pandemic. First, we were all very hunkered down. Uh, you know, obviously just in our little bubble, in just our little family unit. Mm -hmm. And then my brother who lives in LA permanently, um, he and his girlfriend, you know, traveled for a bit and then they quarantined. And then after the period of quarantine was over, we, they came over. And I remember that moment when we were able to hug mm -hmm. each other and they were able to hug the kids. Like, I just was like, oh my God, I missed this so much. And, and I think that's been the thing that has brought been brought home to me so clearly through this is is how much i i just i need to have that physical presence of the people i love around me i miss my friends so dearly mm -hmm. i don't know how you've been managing through this sometimes you know there's like a song there's a saying there's a speech that you heard we all have these kind of earwigs that have mm -hmm. stayed with us Earwigs? That's not right. Earworms. I have earwigs and I hate them. So I, that's why they're on my mind. Cause I'm like, I got to spray earworms that kind of stay in our souls. And I'm wondering like in this time, like what are some of these sayings or things that you've heard? Or I don't know if it's a quote or if it's a, if it's a person or a something that like is ringing truer to you right now than ever before. I can give you mm. an example if you need. Yeah. Why don't you tell me one? There's an old saying, and I actually don't know who said it, be in the world, not of it. And I've heard it attributed mm. to the Bible. I've heard it attributed to um, the Quran. I've heard it attributed to, uh, I said, oh, that's a Sufi saying. It's like, no, Rumi wrote that. So it, I've heard it in many different places, but I'm constantly thinking, like, what does that mean, be in the world, not of it? And you can be in the world, but that doesn't mean that you have to be a creature of the world's creation, I think, mm. right? You don't have to become what the world is putting on you. You know, mm. you don't have to internalize. I think it's a it's a call for decolonization, <laughs> you know, or self-actualization. So right. I think of that phrase. That's a that's an example. That's really good. I don't have like a single 
quote or anything that stuck with me, but I will say that after the first kind of three months or so of this, I, I didn't see my, I didn't see my parents for, for that, that time. And I was really missing them and I was really wanting to, to be with them. And I called my father and I said, Oh gosh, I miss you so much. And I wish that we could, we could be together. And he was reminding me of his early days um, being when we first moved to America, when we were early immigrants here. And, and, uh, you know, the fact that they were away from their parents and their extended family in, in India for so many years, they couldn't afford to go back. Uh, they couldn't see their family and they knew they wouldn't be able to see them for years and years. And they were just patient. And he said, look, I didn't see my own father for years. And we knew we would have to save up enough money to be able to afford that flight back. And when I finally saw him again, it was wonderful. But I was ready to, you know, I, I, I knew I needed that patience. And so this too will pass. And, you know, we just need to have patience. And this is your moment like I had with my father. And I, I, I think of that a lot because he's right. You know, this is obviously horrible. <laughs> <laughs> And it's lasting so much longer than I ever thought it would. But this too shall pass. And he was able to bear it with that patience. And now he's here. So, you know, after many months, I did see him finally and my mom. But he reminded me he didn't see his own parents for five years Mm. after we moved to America. But he knew he was going to get back. He knew it will pass. He knew he had to be patient. Yeah. And just putting it into the context of what he, you know, what they went through with their own families, I thought, okay, yeah, that's right. In the context of the time, this is a short, this is but a short period and we will get through this. And so I think of that a lot. I think that, oh! yeah. <laughs> that was very good. Um, <laughs> on key as well um that voice is katrina davis hey katrina how you doing <laughs> that's so funny the first thing i say on the podcast yes is, is you like, yes and in the shit like, out of my annie lennox reference right there a high falsetto for no reason no 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 it's not no, reason if anybody knows what the no hell we're talking about out of the darkness. anybody so who's funny. driving probably just did the same th- same thing yeah. it's pavlovian okay so, so uh, we just listened to uh, an interview with the great uh, Nithya Raman, who, um, you know, I've already talked about her having been elected uh, to uh, the the position she was running for, C- Los Angeles District Board City Council. Yay! Oh, it's a lot of words, um, but... <laughs> You know, she's a very interesting person, and and one of the things I'm excited about, not only just about her ideas, you know, and, and about what she's bringing to the table, is also just she strikes me as a person who wants to do things in a different way, not just in just like in terms of like, oh, here's what, how we should, you know, just the way that she wants to communicate and collaborate with people. I think there's just something about how she considers things. And decides what's what decides what to do. Uh, I'm excited to see how that will 
will come into play just in change in terms of how it will change political discourse in general. That's my very super analytical blah 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 yakety schmackety. <laughs> but also she she also had a great sense of humor. So I, I just hope that like uh, that 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 remains as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean I feel like you got the best of both worlds with that interview because you get to learn a little bit about her as a person in a really organic way where she's just like talking to you. Um, but also she got to in very just like plain speak say what she thinks is wrong with things and yeah, yeah, yeah. how she plans to fix them. And that's really exciting to hear knowing that now she will have the power to do some of those things. So that's, awesome Speaking to be of able which, to listen to that episode now yeah righteous yes uh, yes and see that like she kind of she has a vision she has vision uh also and- who framed roger rabbit is the best movie ever <laughs> i'm so sorry oh yeah you were uh you were i didn't even know what the name of the fan base is what would be the fan base of the who framed roger oh, rabbit my go- i know i don't know what would you would call us frameys you were framey you were <laughs> you, you were old framey huh <laughs> I love frame, that movie. Framer versus so Framer. So much. Every character. It's so good. Well, we don't get, have to get into that. Um, although I am yeah, no, okay sorry. with doing such a thing because I do want to check in with you, Katrina Davis. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know, Katrina Davis is a very funny comedian here in Los Angeles. Um where uh, there is still some comedy happening. But I wanted to be able to, you know... Just be able to process what the hell is going on in this podcast with a, a different brain uh, than mine, <laughs> uh, and especially the brain of a black woman. Uh, that is a thing that I'm trying to do myself through this through this pandemic is uh, psychologically and emotionally surround myself with as many black women <laughs> as possible. Is that manipulative? I don't even know. Is it good? Baron, Baron I'm going to tell you, you're not the only one. Mm. We're in high demand right now. Uh, ah, we are in high demand. My God. Black women are the new crystals. Everyone <laughs> wants to just have us around. Just like a nice set. Maybe in front of their TV. A nice set. <laughs> wow. 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 Um, Is that how no, you feel? Seriously? <laughs> not uh not actually just like being a dramatic jerk but no there is definitely an uptick it's palpable it's appreciated oh no talk, uh, talk about I it i don't hate it but um it's uh it's interesting in ways especially professionally where people will like message you about things knowing how it looks <laughs> you know like they'll be like hey I know that this is weird timing, um, but just to let you know, I put you up for this before, like, the shutdown. Like, we were planning to contact you about this before, <laughs> and you're just like, yeah, I'm sure. I just wanted to let so you know sure I already wasn't racist were. before. Yeah. <laughs> but just, like, magically, all of a sudden, everyone is like, hey, what about this? And it's like, like I said, no, no one's going to look a gift towards in the mouth, but... Hmm. We both know what's going on here. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes it's just like friends. I feel like the people that know that they're just asking you stuff regular just ask you stuff regular. But there are people that have just hilarious prefaces to think <laughs> <of> right now. <laughs> Ooh, give me some of your favorites. 
No, that is probably my favorite one was just like, uh, I, you know, this was something I, we wanted you for this before, you know, Ooh. it was, just, I looked, or like, I know this timing is really weird, but, uh, I was just wondering and <laughs> like that kind of thing. Well, but. I was almost one of those people because I did ask you to help me with this whole podcast situation. Uh, <laughs> go but ahead. You can laugh at me. Things like, no, no, no. But I think that things like this are a part of the pandemic that I've kind of been able to see as a plus because I, for my day job, normally would have to drive there and it's at least an hour and 15 minutes one way. So I have had 15 hours each week given back to me (laughs) because of the pandemic. Mm. So it's given me the ability to do more things and gain more experiences on things where I would have immediately knee jerk been like, Oh, I don't have time to do that. And been like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, sure. I'll try that. And like, not know what I'm doing or if it's going to work. You know what I mean? Like what's fantastic stuff and being like, Oh wow. I'm so glad that this kind of like blossom and evolved into something. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, because that's what I really wanted to know is like, you know, first of all, thank you very much for helping me on this thing at, that we're launching okay. here that we're trying to figure yeah. out in front of the world's ears. I'm so excited. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. But, you <laughs> Hi, know, ears. you've been I, I've been curious about like, you know, the things, the routines, the habits that you feel have been helping you and You've also listened to all these different interviews that I've done, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that our listening audience has not yet heard, uh, including Mm -hmm. the one that's about to happen. So I'm curious not only about, like, the things that you just have been organically doing on your own, but if you've – if there's anything you heard in this Nithya interview or this upcoming open mic interview that you were like, oh, that's for me. Yeah, um – I will say Nithya's interview, I did not relate to because I'm an only child. (laughs) So I was listening to that, like how you listen to people talk about alien abductions. Oh, good God. I never, there's never that many people in my house. People do that. And like, even culturally, like we do things for each other. Like the things that she was describing that her family does, it's like, do you have the flu? No one would ever, like, bring anybody, like, no one has the time to just be around doing things for other family members like that. Like, I don't know. It was so foreign to me to listen to, but that even, I feel like, gave me such an idea of her as a person. Like, I feel like she had to have a certain amount of people skills just to get to the bathroom in her house. <laughs> there are so many people that she lives That's hilarious. With. There's so many. And so I just was listening to the whole, like, how she's been relaxing and enjoying it, being like, this sounds like a loving fairy tale. Um, But wow, I can't believe, like, your life is like that. But also, it's great. Like, God bless you. They sound amazing. Which I, which I, (laughs) yes, I know. They've all rallied behind her. So that's the question. Yeah. That's the question. And when you, Katrina, have something for everybody, you know, to rally behind you for... Will they mm-hmm. show up like people showed, like like Nithya's family showed up for her? That's the question. Oh, right? I think that I think that 
I am constantly surprised by how much people support each other. Like I support my friends. I love them. I love the stuff that they do and I don't really think about it. But I was just raised to think not even in a mean cutthroat way, in a very matter of fact way that no one outside of this house, not that they don't care about you, but like, why would they? Everybody's got their own stuff going on. Hmm. Everybody's built on survival and taking care of their own. So unless all their stuff is taken care of and they're going to switch their focus to you, like, why would they? So my mom's like, we're your family. We care about you. We take care of you. We'll always have your back. But like, don't ever expect that from anybody else outside of this house. They have their own stuff going on. So I'm constantly surprised by people who support me. Hmm. that come to shows even come to shows online like all the every time anybody does anything for me for me i'm insanely like surprised and grateful (laughs) that they've like taken the time but i do believe that it happens but it's like i never expect that and not on a way that i'm like oh no one cares it's like they're busy everyone's trying to cope and stay alive like it's fine (laughs) well there's a there's a difference between expecting it and uh-huh. accepting it. You know what I'm Which saying? Which I also have a problem with. Yes, of course. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I but have it like, too, mm-hmm. but you know, because you don't expect <laughs> it when, when it happens, you're like, oh, what, what, you know, you're not supposed to be here for me. So it's like, yeah, that's one of those things that you got to work on, I guess. Much uh, less like consistently. Yes. Like when Nithya was talking about uh, her in-laws helping her, mm-hmm. I was like, they're not even blood. Like, I know they're, they're married, and you like wow. her. Wow. But, wow. like, what? That's like, deep. That's deep, Katrina. I really was, like, that's how, But it also made me think, like, when the way people believe in your stand-up, when we don't, well, when I don't, have, like, Netflix specials and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and my friends are, you know what I mean? They support me. It's like, that's what her family's doing. It's like, no, we know her. We've already heard all this stuff, like, we're backing her because we know y'all need to hear this. Hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that level of support from the people around her even solidifies why, you know what I mean? She won. So Yeah. And why I think she's a, a, a good candidate and I think she's going to be, yeah. I'm really excited. So that, you know, this is a pretty good natural transition, I think actually, because you are an only child. Um, I mm-hmm. was mostly an only child. Uh, and I believe open my Hegel. Uh, the 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 CEO of Stony Island Audio here on Starburns <laughs> Audio Network. I don't know what the hell that's called. Even we'll get all we'll get all the stingers right as we go. Stingers is that what even what they're called? We'll get all the, the <laughs> we'll get all the wasp stingers uh, right as that, we go along. I don't know if that's jargon, but it feels right okay. to say stinger. I've never heard it before, but what do I know? Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking about my 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 limited experiences <laughs> with radio, just like, and this is a stinger. It's like, okay, yeah, okay. I think I know what that is then. I'll remember forever. Oh my God. Uh, so no, but just kind of like, um, suffice it to say that Nithya comes off as an optimist. And that's not necessarily mm. to... To I don't mean that in the um like she's naive. There's, it's just that she is, seems to be a very secure person, uh, secure mm-hmm. in her own, and she has, with this family dynamic, this um, you know, I'm trying not to psychoanalyze her, but she seems like she understands interdependence, 
You know what I mean? And being able to delegate and trust and kind of have that back and forward. And that's something that, uh, you know, that's what you said. Like, she has to do all that negotiating just to get to the bathroom. So it's like, I didn't really grow up with that. You didn't really grow up with that. Open Mike didn't really grow up with that. Um, you know, me and Open Mike have more similar-ish childhoods is, 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 than... <laughs> yourself so it's kind of like we just all have a different you know way of kind of i feel like we all kind of have this i'm on my own sort of feel you know and i'm uh -huh. i'm a, i'm a married man with a family i know for a fact i am not on my own but but trying to put that idea into my heart i in <laughs> you know what i'm saying i intellectually understand the shit but I yes. don't emotionally and physically get it yet. So, you know, I, oh I was afraid of this interview with me and Mike because after we after we talked, I was like, hmm, is this a little dark? But you you and some other people I ran it by seemed to feel like, oh, no, 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 no. It, it's it's uh, it's all good. So, um, no, I don't think it was dark at all. OK, I mean, I'm probably not the person to ask about something being dark. But I probably have a bad gauge of that because I think stuff is great when it's like jarringly honest. That's when I feel the most comfort. Mm. But I do agree with those people. Well, um, how about I let you introduce this uh, this interview then? <laughs> oh, goodness. How would you um, how would you set it up without saying anything? I would say that this interview touches on a lot of what Mike is learning about himself as an artist, hmm. um, while also showing that he is at the beginning of a journey personally that I think we're gonna continue to see even more of in this music. Like, I feel like this is him chipping, the beginning to chip away at something that is just going to continue to grow in him creatively. And I'm really excited about it because I feel like he, without realizing it, touches on multiple times what we're about to see more of in him. Mm. Um, and then uh, I think there is kind of a good conceptual segue from talking about your art and your creativity and how that can be interpreted and manipulated and that same kind of jaded effect in how we see things working on a national scale right now hmm. and just kind of having all of the good intent in the world and then knowing that you the same kind of letting it go of something of being like I've done my part in it and now there's nothing more I can do but I think that we're what? Oh. No, I was going to say, this is fascinating to me because I don't remember what the fuck we talked about, <laughs> you know, and I'm just kind of like, just wondering, like, people are hearing you say this and I'm like, oh, shit, I'm getting, I'm starting to get interested. So I'm curious, <laughs> I'm curious to see or, or to know and to, so, I, you know, yeah. but you were going to say a little that, more. Yeah, go ahead. No, I think that where you all end, I think. Uh, is kind of the same dot, dot, dot that we're still living. 
Like we're just like hopping along little ellipses trying to see what happens with our country. But I think Nithya is the answer to that on a local level. And I think that that is indicative of what we will hopefully consent, continue to see creep its way up. So I feel like we kind of are waiting for things to shake out and settle above us. But we've already proven that on the levels where everyone that coexists with each other and like crosses the same streets have control, people are making things better for themselves. So I think that once you listen to Nithya, once you've already listened to Nithya, hearing where you guys are and all of your feelings as valid as they are, I'm waiting for Nithya to prove you wrong in a way. Wow. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) That was like a, like, was like a review on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, and now. I don't know if that's good or bad. (laughs) Neither do I. We're going to find out right now. Yay. Yeah. 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 It's like getting a massage at a real place, not in a garage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's eating health food making smoothies out of kelp cubes you know the thing about that though is what's weird about that is are you only allowed to like people that are exactly like you i have felt two different ways about that there's people who like there's rappers i know who they've told me their favorite rapper and i'm like that's impossible because you sound exactly the opposite of that like i don't understand how how that being your favorite person aligns with what you do in any sense is there one that you could share that uh, you feel like would not be oh. offensive or derogatory. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, I, if I if I said the name of the person who I was having that conversation with, you wouldn't know, and most of the people that were listening to this wouldn't know, so it wouldn't matter okay. much. But he's an underground rapper here in LA, super underground, like lyrical, miracle, spiritual underground. Um, and he said his favorite rapper was Tupac. And I was like shocked, and I was I was almost mad at him because I, I feel like he was lying. I feel like he was saying that just because like he who wants to be pro LA and like pro West Coast, and but to me, your favorite rapper would have somewhat of an obvious influence on your style. So I didn't understand how those those two sides work together for that person well you know i have a theory on that because a lot of my favorite comics especially comics that are working today are comics that can do something that i know i cannot or are doing something in a way that i can't replicate you know that is just uniquely them i can't um i can't figure out the math of it and it's sort of inspirational. And sometimes I can figure out the math of it because even knowing what someone is doing doesn't undercut when it's still damn good, you know? And so, like, I like comics who are unlike me as opposed to the ones who are exactly like me because it doesn't make any sense to anyone who's exactly like me. I'm already that. You know what I mean? I, I, it's like an echo chamber in some sort of way. So it's like, I'm, I'm here to learn in a sort of a weird way. So it's kind of like, not a sort of a weird way. Let me say that again. I am here to learn, right? So any comic I see that is doing something that I don't think I've ever touched or that I think is a weak point of me, then I take that as, you know, a sign that 
oh, that's someone who knows how to make that work. I, you know, I want to say that potentially there might be enough of a difference in forms where what you're saying makes a lot more sense to me. Um, Where if you're, if you're a funny person and you're regularly observing other funny people, if you see somebody being funny in a way that you hadn't thought about, I could see that really being interesting. Um, But I, I think the, the, there's a function of that where maybe you seeing that person being funny in that way you hadn't thought of starts to ultimately affect how you do your thing too. Yes. Like, like you start to be open to that approach because you hadn't thought of it. Well, it's not necessarily the approach itself as much as it is the heart of the approach. Mm, it's I that, see. Ooh, this person figured out an approach that's theirs as opposed to copying right. that. It's like, man, what does it mean for me to find my approach. I appreciate someone who has, is trying to do, some people are masters of content. Some people are, are masters of style. Some people are masters Mm -hmm. of performance. Some people are good at two of the three or all three, or when they were younger, they were good at this one. It's always fluid, right? But it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily, I have to do it the way that they did it but I'm inspired to find my way of doing what they did. So like, even like Tupac, who is one of my favorite rappers, if I was a rapper, I wouldn't try to rap like Tupac because I'd be like, well, he's already done that. You know what I mean? Like that's his style. And I'll tell you the difference in this instance. And I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. But like the the thing that made it something for me to argue with this person about Mm -hmm. was that I knew people that I know he knew personally Mm -hmm that you could tell were far more influential on his style than Tupac. Mm, mm. And like, that was the thing. It's like, is Tupac your favorite? Then why you sound like such and such? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that we all know that we all, you know, like that. And and so in that sense, it never sounded like mm-hmm. he was trying to find his way of being Tupac. It always sounded like he was trying to sound like ROGs. Hmm. Hmm. But what, but then I go, but with the heart of Tupac, but with like trying to attack something like Tupac, I don't know the specifics of that, right? Obviously, mm-hmm. because all I can see you doing is shaking your head at me. But these debates, because <laughs> this is the same thing that happens in comedy, you know, what's like the debate is about what is it that you, what does it mean to have an influence? You know what I mean? Right. So it's like if you were to ask me my favorite comedians of all time, and then you asked me my favorite specials of all time. And you ask me my favorite albums, like comedy recordings of all time. Some there would be some overlap, but each of those are different things. Sure. So it's like I'm talking about like a career and an inf- you know like a career's influence or a very specific moment. Someone can be really good in a specific moment and like called 1992 out you know and then mm-hmm. they became mm-hmm. irrelevant after that but just because they did that at that time in that way it's like damn that's how you like really speak to the moment but that's what they never could transcend right hmm. whereas somebody like a richard Pryor had a career and it had continuous transformations always reinvented himself because like any art form some people become giants and some people become 
ants. <laughs> mm. So, but that's just to say that, like, this brings me to our point, you know, if there's a point to this, because these debates, especially amongst artists, reveal who we are, reveal what our priorities are. And sometimes to me, I think, reveal what people are stuck on. Hmm. And if there's anything I think is happening in this pandemic right now, it's that people are either becoming more stuck or trying to unstick. You know, and each everyone's in different places with each of those. You know, but I think I've been in both places. Definitely, because this shit ain't as easy and there's no one way to do anything. There's no one way to feel about anything. But it's like everyone's shit's coming up in all these different ways, right? So all that's just to say, how are you? Hmm. Uh today I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some things in front of me I'm looking forward to, but there are things that I decided to make happen so I could look forward to them. Mm. Um, I'm about to build a PC, a gaming PC. And you're going to build one. Yes. And it's lighting my brain up. Like all of the piece, all of the parts came today. Ooh. Uh, so I have this, this whole setup that I'm looking at and all these boxes and stuff. And I'm like, okay, like this is my project. And that's, that is making me so happy Mm. just that I know I'm going to have like something to do with my hands where at the end of it, it's going to be like past fail. Hmm. That is making me so happy. Uh, there's there's so many shades of gray in terms of success and failure, specifically in my industry, that I long for the days of like, did you do it or did you not do it? And I have a task in front of me that's going to be, uh, the results are going to be very apparent in terms of whether or not I did it right or not and if i didn't do it right i can try it again and and it's just like oh i'm really looking forward to that hmm wow wow this is what they call i think what you're trying to do here is this is meditative therapeutic yes for you a hundred percent a hundred percent so you can just kind of have you like to work with your hands and you're you're building something and there's going to be like a very clear and i don't get to do that enough in my life Mm. so much of my work is brain work and so much of the result is subjective hmm. that I just don't often get to have these sorts of experiences. And I used to a lot when I was young. Um, but now the, the world that I've chosen for myself, um, a lot of it is just about showing up and, and, and taking swings at things. Um, but showing up is not easy. Not at all, but that's just, that's the muscle that I've been working out is the showing up muscle. Right, but it's very easy because I think the thing about showing up is that it's such a, it's so physically and emotionally demanding that if you're doing that all the time and you don't just, you don't take a break from it, and then you, even when you're alone, you're in that place because you have to show up to like create things. Yeah, and you and you feel guilty if you're not showing up for something. Hmm. And it's and it's hard sometimes to be accepting of showing up for yourself if that doesn't look like showing up for somebody else. So what the fuck is self care then? Because I don't know. It but sounds me, like you're talking about it. It sounds like this project for you is that. It's might it might be. It very well might be. Um, Even identifying that you don't do this enough. Yeah, like all of this is coming out of conversations that I've had with my therapist. 
that, you know, a lot of it, they hover around specifically answering that question, you know, Um, and a lot of where the answers have led me lately is to try to put myself back in the mindset of things I was able to do and experience and, and engage in like before, um, like not even, cause I have early childhood trauma and it's like before that kind of, but also it's like before that started to become, uh, a cyclical thing that manifested in my life a lot. Hmm. So like, before I had to worry about a bunch of shit, before I had a lot of responsibility, when I was able to just sit and be with myself and be content with that, whether it be with comic books or TV or music or fucking around with computers, which is something I used to do in high school, it was before uh, adulthood manifested itself for me. Because when adulthood manifested itself for me, part of that was also... uh, Making a lot of, I won't say bad choices, but choices affected by trauma that as an adult, you kind of have to live in, in a way that I didn't have to live in when I was a kid. Hmm. This brings me back to, um, your latest album, Anime Trauma and Divorce. And which is a a, a through line of the conversations I'm having with my therapist as well. Yes. And this is a project that was born of, well, I mean, any of your projects are always born of you trying to process something, you know, you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're talking about something that is important to you at that time. So, you know, and this is the latest thing that you've done. And not only have you released this album that, uh, that, that you poured a lot of personal darkness into, you know, and some joy and some light, but also the way that you went about promoting this because of the time that we're in seemed to be very unique to you mm. as well. Like it seemed like that was also a piece of this project that you were going to do this, this show. Um, and it seems like you were trying to enact some things, some emotional things, or you were trying to test, test out some, some new decisions. Am I right about that? Yeah, and and you know you were talking about the live emotional processing event that I did around the record with, which I was uh, fortunate enough to have you involved as director of. Um, I think the aim of it was to put a context around these songs that was from a very honest place, and um, with this particular project, that was a difficult thing to attempt to do because. So much of the context of this album revolves around stuff that I don't typically talk about in my life, especially being uh, somewhat somewhat of a public figure. Mm. My ex- existence publicly, whether that's on social media or even in music, it's been very curated. Mm. Um, and this was an attempt to circumvent that curation to give people a real orientation in this album based on the feelings and thoughts and situations that created these songs. Hmm. That, that was so (laughs) deep. I wasn't expecting, I kind of got, can you tell I've been doing a bunch of interviews about the album? I got like lost (laughs) in your, like your explanation. I was like, Whoa. So you have, you have been doing a lot of interviews. Oh my God. Way too many. About, about the album specifically. Yeah. But you know, but you get into a, a patter 
Um, not to say that that's autopilot, but it's like you just get better and better at, at talking about what it is that you are trying to explain. A hundred percent, because the question you just asked me, I hadn't been asked before, but I am in the mindset of having thought about this project and thought about what my intentions were. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had to talk about that a lot. So it does put me in a place where I have processed, in a sense, what it was I was trying to do. So that answers to questions like that have a, have a clarity now that they wouldn't have had a couple of months ago. Well, you know, and, and you enacted and you always are enacting, you know, like you even said earlier, just you're always kind of putting things in place, you know, projects, you know, always kind of planting seeds for new projects to kind of, you know, blossom a little down the road when you know that you'll have empty time, like empty space. I do the same thing, but sometimes my problem is keeping track of all that stuff and um, making sure to keep checking on every plan and, and watering it and stuff like that to, you know, mix all my metaphors. But, uh, you know, you had a lot of things coming into this, not just the album, and but you, you have also launched this imprint, Stony Island Audio. You have also, you did that tour with Hannibal. So it's kind of like, you know, you have had to be, as usual, very inventive with how you're going to get through all of this stuff. And so when you are doing that brain work, I guess, where's that coming from? And I don't mean that in the sense of like, how do you come up with your ideas? But I'm like, you know, they always talk about the creative well. Yeah. So I'm like, what kind of things do you put in that well that you end up pulling out to turn into all these different ideas? Um, I tend to just have a lot that I want to say all the time. There's just like a lot. I have a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of ideas because ideas isn't what I mean. I mean, like I have a lot of opinions. I have a lot of reflections. I have a lot of um, things that I've been ruminating on for a while Hmm. that um, I'm always looking for an outlet for. And, you know, like there's, I think ever since I decided to, be creative for a living. I've just start, I've just stockpiled things all the time because to me, like ideas is the easiest part for me. Like the 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 um the the act or the the machinery of creation of ideas uh, is the easy part for me. Mm-hmm. The hard part for me is navigating how to take um take what I have created or want to create and navigate all of these businesses. That's been the difficult part for me. Um, and that's, that goes to everything from music to TV to everything. It's like, I can see something that I want to watch. I can see something that I want to read. I can see something that I want. I can hear something in my mind that I know I want to hear this thing as a piece of music. Um, but so much of how creation is, uh, is mitigated in our society is based on having to convince somebody with money to give you money to make this thing, <laughs> and with the promise that other people are going to like it too, and 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 that part is just that's that's what's been eluded what's eluded me, mm-hmm. um, and I've been really fortunate in music that a lot of it's worked out, um, but even in that I've been 
surprised sometimes by the reasons that it works out because a lot of times it's not about my intentions. It's just about how something hit somebody and how they interpreted it. And then now it's theirs, you know? Um, and there's, there's no, I haven't found any science to like, or, or beyond that, there is no science. It's like, you, you know, that's part of what you learn about being a creator is that you put something out into the world. And it's no longer yours. Right. Right. And it's, you know, it's, letting a bird fly, I guess, in a mm-hmm. sort of a, of a mm-hmm. way you've done what you can. And then once it's out the nest, it either flies or it falls. <laughs> oh my God. You ever seen that meme? No. Of that black funeral? Um, there's a, there's, there's a black funeral and the, and the preacher is like, um, it, I think he's trying to say nice words to send a person off and he's got a dove in his hand. And he's like, uh, something, if you have wings like this dove, and fly away, and he and he lets the the dove go, and it just like falls into the dirt dead immediately. It is the most <laughs> hilarious video, because like people are like oh oh like it, it's it's really something. Oh, it's really something. well. That's very funny. I can I can I mean I can see it in my head. Uh, so I'm like I like it, but that is exactly what it's like, <laughs> you know, because it's mm-hmm. like sometimes you you connect with who you're trying to connect with when you release the dove and sometimes it falls into the dirt. But a big piece of that is for us, at least is coming to terms with that, I guess. Right. That once it's yeah, out of us, 100%. it's it's not ours anymore. And that it becomes sometimes very confusing about how to feel about how people feel about it or us yep. through, you know, extension uh, of their reactions to our various works. But also it's also hard to tell if like, you know, for me, it's at least like I can't recognize or sometimes I have difficulty recognizing when someone actually thinks I'm good. Now, when you say good, you mean, well, because you do a lot of different stuff. I do a lot of different stuff, yes. So so I don't think I understand. Like, okay. Okay. I'm specifically talking about like um, comedy, I guess. Like I still have this 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 distrust of my status or position in either comedy or acting. Right. Mm-hmm. But I also, at the same time, know I have been here, you know, I'm working with legends on a consistent basis. I'm not slacking when I am there, you know, I'm holding my own. Like I'm not like just forgotten, you know, luckily. So I'm like, okay, so that's proof in and of itself, you know, externally. But how do I put that in the heart? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, you know, because I think I think that it's 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 two different things operating. Like there's the proof of the craft. Yes. Which you know you're tight because you've studied the craft yes. and you've enacted the craft and, and you and that's the live feedback that you get when you're performing the craft. Like, oh mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course I'm good because I'm fucking I've been practicing this shit, studying it forever. But then there's also the business feedback. And the politics and and all of that, that like all the stuff that has nothing to do with craft, and yes, that that's also, you know, when I talk about you make something and you put it out and you just kind of have to be okay with how people interpret it. I mean, there's another there's another mechanism in that, which is how things get to people, which we can't control either. Uh, so we you know sometimes we might make something for a black audience, let's say. 
you know, <laughs> and then through whatever means, whether that's, you know, whether it's TV, movies, whatever, like music, whatever. It's like we have the distribution channels that we have. We have the marketing that we have. And, and you know, if we're lucky or fortunate, we have a say in the marketing. Um, but things get to people how they get to people and they get to the people that are on the other end of these pipelines. Um, and all that stuff has nothing to do with craft, you know, and, and, and yes. that's the stuff that ends up being confusing in terms of who am I in this world? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, absolutely. But I think that the irony is, at least I'm finding for myself, that the less I care about that, I guess you could say, the easier it becomes to see what the actual alternatives to the ways that I have been doing it up to this point is. Mm -hmm. Because I know if I have gotten stuck in sometimes obsessing about what I believe my obstacles to be instead of invention, right? This is necessity. So it's time for me to invent. But as you said before, it's hard to always be inventing. And you're just kind of always pulling things out of this well, creating, creating. So now I got to create a way to do business on top of that's this. So that's rough. Yes. But and the reason it's rough. Well, I would I just wouldn't say this. The reason I think it's rough is because, you know, you go to school to study acting yes. for how many years and you and you act and you get good and you practice every day. Um, but then at some point you're you, it it becomes advantageous for you to know how to market. Mm -hmm. But you, and you haven't studied that. <laughs> you know no. And saying? I kind of came up, I think both of us kind of came up in a, in a, in a world where that wasn't important yet, where our craft and our tools that we use kind of um, this. And now you also had to have the website. Like that was literally starting as I was coming up. You know, like I was early to the game, even in some ways about like having a blog and stuff because I was already into tech stuff where a lot of comics weren't. A lot of comics were still condescending to it. So it's like how did I was early, you know, and then I somehow got left behind at the same time mm. because I never used it as a real tool. Like people who have shown that there is an art to how to market yourself. You know, but again, I'm learning about that and I'm seeing that you can connect them all if you are intentional. I kind of mm. call it my leaky faucet theory. I'm a leaky faucet. Ideas are pouring out of me all of the damn time. So when it's time for me to come and put it on paper, I've been leaking it everywhere. Mm. pouring it all over everybody else that comes to me for any advice <laughs> you know or 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 just like hey what do you think of this and that's fine because i like to do that but then sometimes when it's for me i don't have anything left mm. and so i have to be intentional you know i have the more i live my life in the moment doing things like working with my hands you know then when it's time creative time that I have created some sort of routine around, then it's time to turn on the faucet. The more I live in the yep. moment and I'm not thinking about ideas, then when it's time to, to generate ideas, I'll have more because I lived my life instead of 100%. constantly being thinking about stuff. hundred percent. But you got more story to tell. What are you saying? You got more story to tell. Yes. However, 
Easier said than done. Easier said than done. This idea sounds mighty fine, but it's easier said than done. Do 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 do. So anyway, <laughs> that's the uh, I had to make it do 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 makes it kind of like that late Saturday morning, uh, you know, after cartoons where where it starts being kids yeah. <laughs> like actual mm-hmm, kids mm-hmm, on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, hey guys, it's me, Johnny. I make weird from small wonder. <laughs> oh, small wonder. Like <laughs> my sister's a robot. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I like to meander with you, Mike. But like, we're good meanderers. We're good meanderers. But at the same time, like, this whole thing is just about you know checking in with mofos in the state of the world right now. We are a couple days after the actual election uh, or election day, I should say. Votes are still being counted. People are freaking the fuck out, me included. Uh, really? Yes, because... You're doing a great job of, of not doing it right now, I guess. Well, because I know I have no more control. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. kind of like I voted, I studied, I talked, you know, I promoted things, I connected with people. I'm doing, quote unquote, a lot of different things to educate myself and others, Right. And to mm-hmm. stand up for myself and others. And then I voted. And it's not like if Biden wins, shit's over. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, mm-hmm. he's over. We fixed it. Like, it's like, yeah, the work has still got to be done. But all of this stuff that's been leading up to this will continue to help us. Right? That's the way I'm trying to see it. That's what gives me the continuous hope. Seeing the change in the community around us. You know. Yeah, you know, I, I think I think there's some if you know if if this looks how if it goes how it looks like it's going to go and Biden wins, I think that there is a tangible thing to look forward to in that, and I think that what that thing is is having someone in that position who is not constantly adding chaos to our lives. Oh yes, who's not stressing stressing us the fuck out constantly because C- I think that is one of the most dangerous things that this guy did for four years is that we were already on the edge for a million different reasons and rather than do what would be so calming and uniting and pacifying for people which is important like i understand that some people think that it's a distraction to um to to speak politely or to be civil or and because you're not dealing with issues but like part of leadership is kind of chilling everybody out absolutely you know, and and we we have really missed that. Yes. Even if it's just a figurehead thing, it's like, and and I feel like if once he's out of that position, and and that we know we'll get someone who has the the good sense to know when to just say a nice thing, you know, and just leave it at that. I think that's really better for all of our mental health. <laughs> yes, it is. yes, it is. It is. We need a gigantic blanket. A warm ass white grandpa looking ass blanket. I mean, I'm saying to keep us even, get us and, through and, this uh, fucking winter that's coming up. A hundred percent, and it's and it, it ain't about you know. I, I, of course, there's still issues. Uh, oh, yes. Of course, there's still a, there's still a fight to be had. Of course, Joe Biden is not the answer to most questions. No, you know what I'm saying. He is he is not. Uh, uh, he doesn't represent me in any way that I can think of. Um, but I, I think just a. Uh, uh, um, just just having someone in that very powerful position 
who can think outside of themselves enough just to know when to when when kindness and gentleness and calm yeah. is the key because some moments it is the thing is for me i think like but with uh trump still skin like i go what's he gonna do what's he gonna say ah uh, what's he gonna do what did he do but with biden i'm like who's he gonna listen to mm. i mean he's already you know his cabin is gonna be terrible um, he's going to have the same financial advisors that Obama had were awful people. He's like, he's putting a bunch of like fucking, um, you know, used to be Republicans probably in his cabinet. Um, you know, so, so policy wise, especially when it comes to like global shit and, and capitalism and, and the military industrial complex, it's all going to be bad exactly how it used to be bad which is not good at all he's a 90s he's an early 90s democrat so it's like he is that you know strong military like like the clintons you know sort of dude and so it's a return to that but you know on a policy level but the question is because we already have all this infrastructure you know how do we continue to change the direction? You know, because that's what's going to have to happen. You know what I mean? And people are, and luckily, you know, this infrastructure has been essentially erected, you know, because of Trump. And a lot of people are making the point that, like, this dude's probably going to be arrested the moment he's not the president. Like, he's got... It, it, so there's certainly enough of a, of a criminal paper He's trip. got lawsuit after lawsuit, because you can't prosecute a sitting president. Mm-hmm. So once he's quote unquote an ex president, the 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 fit's gonna hit the shan, and then mm-hmm. uh, my father was talking to me about like how now there's this infrastructure of tracking all of these white supremacist terror groups as well, mm. and there will probably be some kind of crackdown. And he said, and it happened in civil rights. You know, he's like when the Klan was no longer like you know, all up in the government, then, and they showed their face, they got rounded up and they went back into the walls like roaches. And that's exactly mm. what's going to happen. They're going to go back into the walls like roaches. You know, this is Hydra, <laughs> you know, you cut one mm. head off. So it's kind of like, or the octopus or whatever the hell, the metaphor, whatever you want to say. So it's like, if we continue in the same mold, then we will come back to this. But the question is, emotionally everyone is terrified a hundred percent and i think that this is the biggest thing that i don't hear a lot of people talking about is the the emotional cost of this era and we're going to be paying for it for a long ass time we are because we are we we don't we don't we haven't understood the cost oh no just like we don't really understand covid and the long-term effects this air this trump presidency the long-term effects you know we're, we're gonna see but in the meantime you gotta kind of make sure that you're at peace with yourself because you can't be mad all angry all the time sometimes you gotta build a gaming computer <laughs> that's right that's right and with that sometimes you gotta buy a motherboard and thermal paste oh and... shisa you gotta send me the pictures man <laughs> graphics card yeah you gotta send me the pics um all right, Mike. I'm glad we could talk before. <laughs> what the fuck is self quar?
Stony Island Audio. Now that's a stinger.